Hello, friends. Buy a beach bar and run off to Mexico. You're listening to Blame It on Buffett. Well, I sail from Lauderdale down to Key Largo. Cross the Gulf on a fast loop and I sail the Abacos. As a kid, I read Contiki and now all the pirate books, too. There's just so many places on my list to see. I'm going crazy just trying to choose. Welcome everyone to Blame It on Buffett. Um, for those of you who may be new, if you're listening to this on Tiki Man Radio or found us some other way, my name is Aaliyah Moore. I'm your host. Um, just trying to bring you some fun interviews uh, with people related to Jimmy Buffett's lifestyle in some way, as I like to say, all things escapism adjacent. Um, I have a really awesome guest that I'm excited about today. His name is Tony Head, and he wrote a book called Driftwood Stories from the Margarita Road, which is fiction but inspired by his real-life story of owning uh, a little um, hotel and bar in Mexico. So I hope you will stick around for that interview. I honestly had such a great time talking to him. I can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, But I have just a couple of uh, announcements before that starts. If you are not listening to this on Tiki Man Radio, I wanted to make sure everybody knows that you could be listening to this on Tiki Man Radio. Um, This is the first episode that's going to be airing on Tiki Man Radio. Um, That's going to be Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. And the show, Blame It on Buffett podcast, will be airing regularly um, at that time. So I hope if you are listening to this just um, as a podcast form on a podcasting platform, like, thank you so much. That's awesome, too. Um, but maybe go give Tiki Man Radio, just, you know, check them out. It's at tikimanradio.com. You can go to the website there. There's also an app you can download um, if you want to listen on mobile. So Thank you uh, for listening, if you are listening on the radio right now. And for everyone else, if you want to go give that a gander, uh, please do. Uh, It's fun. And he does a Sunday morning show um, that's uh, kind of a talk show style with interviews and stuff that's really fun. And I like to watch that on Sunday morning. So thank you so much to Danny Lynn. Um, I had him on as a guest a couple of episodes ago, so you can go. He's uh, the the main guy over at Tiki Man Radio, so you can go check that out if you want to know more about him and about the radio station. Um, uh, so yeah, just a, just a big shout out there, and thank you everyone uh, who is listening. And then the second announcement is that <clears throat> it's still in the um, working out all the things stages, but uh, there is, I am involved in a new project uh, that some people led by classic uh, Dan Smith over at Classic Buffett are starting up. Um, uh, that's going to be kind of a new club, uh, not in competition with any of the other clubs. I'm still going to be in the Parrot Head Club, um, but this is really going to be a, you know, really Jimmy Buffett focused um we also still think giving back is really important. That's going to be a huge part of it. Um, just kind of a fun 
a group that has sort of sprung out of the classic Buffett following and Facebook group of people just really, you know, wanted to talk about vintage Jimmy reminisce and then, um, you know, so sort of forming that into an official community. So it's still in the working it out stages right now, but um, you can go sign up on the website. It's um, backtotheisland.org. Uh, not.com, .org. And um, the website isn't fully published right now, but if you put in your email address um, to get notifications for um, like emails and newsletters and stuff, then you will be notified when it goes live. Uh, and that will have more information about um, what it's all about. I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you all will be too. Um, I think there's just room for everything out there. So um I'm excited to honestly be in all the groups because I love me some Jimmy Buffett. I love me some trap rock. Um, I love me all the things escapism adjacent. So I'm, I'm happy to join pretty much any thing that comes around. So um, if it seems like it's going to be your jam, that's cool. If not, that's totally cool too. So yeah, back to the island.org, go put in your email. You can get more info when that uh, goes live and then you can decide, you know, what you think if you're into it or um, if you are not into it. But so those are kind of the two main things. Um, and I don't want to spend too much more time just jabbering on because um, like I said, I this interview I think was um, really great and I'm excited for you to get to hear all about Tony's adventures um, and I hope you will read his book. Um, if you have the chance, I am like, I I mentioned this at the end, but I'm going to be doing a giveaway for the book. So keep an eye on my social media. Um, yeah. So, uh, without further ado, here is Tony. All right, welcome to this week's interview for Blame It On Buffett. Um, my guest this week is Tony Head, um, also known as Papa T to some people. He has written an awesome book called Driftwood Stories from the Margarita Road, um, which I read, and we will talk more about that. Um, but Tony, thanks so much for being here, and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got the nickname Papa T. <laughs> well, thank you, Aaliyah, for inviting me on. It's it's fun to be here. Um, yeah. My real name is Anthony, but no one ever called me that except my mother, of course, when I was in trouble. Um, but um, after I moved to Mexico, and we can talk more about that. Yes, um, we will. I, <laughs> I, I started uh, getting called Poppy or Papa. And for my parrot head friends, which is many, uh, it was a natural connection. There's a wonderful song by Jimmy called Criola where he talks about uh, Papa T sneaking a taste in the kitchen. And so I ended up with that sort of nickname, and it's stuck over the years. Yeah, and also um, I think that may be probably why uh, the nickname of the main character in your book is also Papa. There is a slight <laughs> connection. <laughs> I uh, I always tell people my book is fiction and uh, nothing in there is real. But the truth is, of course, the stories I write and the characters are inspired by real people. And I might have put a little bit of myself into uh, the main character, Papa, who owns a bar in Mexico. Yes, because you also owned a bar in Mexico, which is so cool. Um, I mean, I guess people always say write about what you know, right? So um, there's nothing 
like if you own a bar in Mexico, you should definitely write a book about that because I think, especially for those of us who don't own a bar in Mexico or have never owned a bar in Mexico, that's uh, the kind of escapism literature that we would like to read. Well, you know, that that dream of running away to someplace tropical and having a bar where you serve margaritas under a thatch roof, you know, that was, I, I got that from Jimmy, um, uh, which is, I almost called the book Blame It on Buffett, but you, know, you, <laughs> you stole that name from me before it well, happened. And I stole it from Kelly McGuire, who wrote the song Blame It on Buffett. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, but um, when my wife Sherry and I decided to run away from the rat race and head down to Mexico, I had all of these images in my mind that, that Jimmy's songs and, and Jimmy's books had planted there. And um, I knew I wanted to have a little, you know, palm thatch roof um, bar near the Caribbean to serve margaritas. And I think a lot of people have that dream. And I just had the incredible good luck to make it come true. Yeah. So uh, in the book, the character runs away to Mexico for reasons and um, sort of falls into buying a bar. But did you you went down there with the intention of doing that? Or did that sort of come about after you went to Mexico? Well, it was a combination. Um, I, I'm serious when I say my wife and I were inspired by Jimmy's um, songs and his books to start exploring the tropical world. Um, it literally happened. I had always been a classic rock kind of guy and had never sort of explored Jimmy's work. And one Christmas long ago, my wife gave me the uh, the CD box set, um, the whole, the boats, beaches, bars, ballads, anything with the letter B in it. And uh, it so took my heart that we started exploring the world that he sings about. And eventually we said, you know, we could live in one of those places. And we had been traveling through Mexico for years and loved it. And so we started exploring the idea of maybe we could own a little bed and breakfast um, near the Caribbean Sea. And that's how it started. We weren't, we weren't terribly serious. It was sort of a, a joke. But each time we would go down to Mexico, we would, uh, we would look around and see if maybe there was a small hotel we could buy. And when it turned out there was, not only were we shocked beyond belief, but then it came to my mind, well, this place needs a little bar. And that's how my uh, my little thatched roof margarita bar called the Luna Blue uh, came into existence. So where in Mexico was that exactly? Uh, that was in a, the town of Playa del Carmen. Oh, I love Playa del Carmen. It is, it is a lovely, world-famous uh, travel destination now. But back then, it was a tiny, funky little town. I just read the other day that it went, when we started, when we moved down there, there was a population of 20,000 people. Now there's a population of close to 300,000. So that's the, that's the amazing change wow. in just about 15 years. But uh, we, we had been traveling um, down along the coast there and discovered Playa and fell in love with it. And that's, that's where we moved and lived for 10 years. 
That's so awesome. Yeah, I have only been there once, and it was when I was in high school, senior year of high school, I think. Um, so that was a while ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> may, I, may I ask? May I ask what year that was? Um, two thousand and four. Interesting. Yeah, I think two thousand and four. And we opened our bed and breakfast in our bar in 2005. We just missed you. Oh, shoot. <laughs> that would have been so funny if I had like been to your bar. That would have been crazy. But but you saw it when it was just small and beautiful. I'm yes. so glad for you. Yeah, it was lovely. And I, like I said, I haven't been back. So um, although I have been in quote, preparation for this <laughs> Which really was just an excuse to watch a bunch of Mexico house hunting shows. I've been watching the show Mexican Life, uh-huh. um, which is just house hunting all in Mexico. And there's quite a few episodes in Playa del Carmen. Um, and it seems definitely larger now for sure than what I remember. So yeah. That happens um, but, to every slice of paradise. Yeah. I mean, and that's what happens in the book, right? So the, the main character goes down there and he, um, Papa, he opens ends up opening this little bar and then the the book um and just for everyone listening I have read the whole book and I really loved it and I would not say that if it weren't true um so this is not a hard sell like I highly recommend everyone read this book if you're into that kind of thing um and he opens this little bar and and then the the format of the book is sort of um, each chapter is a different story about kind of like a character or person that he meets uh, in Mexico. And so it, it, it sort of tells his story over the course of time, but more focused on the people that he meets, which I think is a really cool way to do it. Um, did you like how close I know like you have to put the disclaimer in the book that like this is not similar to real people or whatever but like how close are some of these stories to actual experiences that you had well I I think all of the stories are actual experiences Um, what I did was I changed the people and the circumstances um, you know that that I saw experiencing them the reason I wrote the book was I was so in love with the people that I met um, traveling through Mexico and through the Caribbean and through the islands um, and through Central, Ame- uh, Central America that I thought they deserved to have their stories told. And they had that spirit of adventure that that Buffett sings about. That's to me the thing that Jimmy most offers us. It's not, oh, have a margarita or go party or whatever. It's that sense of, boy, there's this big, wonderful world out there to explore. And so I was taken with this sort of nomadic culture that pulled these people from America or North America, from Europe, wherever, to sort of find their dream. And I thought they deserved a story. So the experiences are what I saw, the characters I got to play with. That's the fun of writing. Yeah. Um, And one of the things I loved about it is it's not all, you know, margaritas on the beach. Like it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like it, it, there is very much an escapism feel and the whole vibe of the book is this sort of like beach bar on the 
I almost said beach bar on the beach. That's a <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, I do know what you mean. Yes. <laughs> um, but also like it feels very real because it's, there's a lot of gritty parts too. Like not like many of the stories don't necessarily end well for all the characters involved. And, and I think that's what really makes it, um, super enjoyable is like it's not just total fluff right like there is an escapism element but also there is sort of like the darker element of like if you really did this like if you were really an expat and other people are you know running away from their whatever problems or whatever thing they are escaping to Mexico from like it's not always going to be just like the perfect paradise that people think right when they think of a beach bar so you know, I really appreciated that you included that side of it as well. Well, thank you for seeing that, because that, that, again, was a big part of the book. I mean, when people um, buy into the dream of running away from home and going to paradise, as as I did, um, you discover two things. The first thing is all the problems that you had in your old life that you ran away from go with you. <laughs> And the second thing you discover is that paradise has its own issues. Uh, I think there's a point in the book where I say uh, even even uh, Eden had a snake. Right. Every part of paradise has some problem, whether it's crime or weather or poverty. And coming to grips with that, I think, is part of the adventure. And, and it was for me at any rate. And so I wanted to make it a true story that people had problems with crooked cops or with hurricanes or with bad love affairs. And uh, I, I tried to make it clear that an adventure isn't always happy times. Right. Well, and I mean, that's what makes an adventure, right? Like you're, you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're having to deal with new things and maybe new problems. I feel like if everything was perfect, it wouldn't really be an adventure. It would just be I don't know, a vacation. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Like Jimmy writes about, or sings about rather, where he says, you know, I don't want to swim in a roped off sea. Yeah. If That's one gonna, of my favorite lines. Isn't it? And and so when you're going to run away to paradise, you don't want to run away to a prefab, um, preconditioned vision of someone else's paradise. You want to, you want to see the really rough edges. And that's what I tried to show. Yeah. One of the things, um, that I, that was sort of a plot, quick plot point in the book, um, is like one of the locals is talking about how all of the Americans that come down are starting all of these, um, rescue organizations for like the street dogs and stuff, but no one is starting any sort of charity or support for like the people that live there. And, and that really struck me because, <clears throat> as someone that really loves animals, that's totally something I'm guilty of. Like when I go to Mexico or wherever, there's like the street dogs and I'm like, oh, the dogs are so cute. And like, I want to take care of them. And, you know, but also like people are living there and people are having, you know, issues and need support as well. Um, but but the animals is just like the thing that I'm drawn to. So I felt, I felt like a little called out <laughs> by that, but like, that's good, right? Like we should be a little bit called out by that. Um, but you I should... know, I know you put that in there because you also are an animal lover. So like you appreciate that. And, and you ended up with quite a few animals, right? Coming back from Mexico. 
Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> um, well, and I, and calling people out to remember that there are issues beyond the obvious is part of the reason for the book. But I also don't want to shame anyone because certainly uh, my wife Sherry and I were were. Um, the biggest proponents of rescuing um, street animals in Mexico. And I have to say why we lived there, we adopted a number. We actually used the bar to, uh, to support a number of, of animal rescue organizations down there. Um, and then when we moved back to the States, um, we brought with us um, four Mexican street dogs and five Mexican street cats. Uh, that, that was that was quite an adventure, just the traveling. But oh, in, sure. it, but I also I want people who are visiting the tropics, whether it's Mexico or the islands or Central America, wherever, to know that it, it's not a shameful thing to say. Oh, I'm going to help support. Um, the uh, the street animals here, or the rescue animals, or any particular charity that they they plug into, um, the people of Mexico, the people of the tropics, can be so unbelievably resilient and proud. And yes, they need help. And yes, if you dig deep enough, you can find ways to do that. But uh, starting out with supporting animal rescue there is a very good way to start. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't by any means mean to say like that that meant people shouldn't do that. Obviously, that's still like the thing I'm very passionate about is animal rescue. Um, But I think it was a good reminder, right, that uh, it's easy to focus on the like cute things. Right. (laughs) I mean, I'm not like obviously animal rescue can be very brutal, too. Like that's a lot of those animals are not in a cute state and they really need help. But um but it's just a good reminder, right? Like, don't get so focused on that that you sort of are not thinking about the other issues going on. Exactly. There. You got it right. Exactly. But, you know, well, we, love, you, we love our animals. What can I say? Right. How did you get them all back? Because honestly, I'm moving just to another state and I just have two cats and I am dreading it. <laughs> so how did you get all those animals back? Like, that must have been... a uh, hard. I'm, I'm really hesitant to say because it makes us sound like crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if you don't want to tell the story, no, no, I don't want to force you. But, we're, but, but people who love their cats and dogs will understand. Yes, they so, will. So we were moving back to the States, and uh, we had to transport all these animals, which obviously was difficult. So the way we transported the cats, they could go on uh, on commercial airlines, uh, as long as you had no more than two, two cats in a cage. So we flew back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, until we brought all, and actually at the time it was six cats, until we brought six cats back to California where we had uh, settled. And then we, leaving them with people that could take care of them, we went back to Mexico and we had to, we couldn't fly our dogs commercial. There's just too expensive and too dangerous for the dogs. So um, this this is strange. But what we did was we tracked down a um, a uh, private jet rental company that was willing to give us a break. That had been flying people from Florida 
to Cancun, which was near our home, um, but had no one to fly the planes back. So since they had empty planes, they gave us an incredible deal. And then we show up with these these five rescue dogs. And you have to imagine the private Learjet uh, um, hangar or, or part of the airport in Cancun. People are wearing fancy clothes and diamond rings and, and Rolex watches. And in come my wife and I with these five dogs on leashes. They thought we were crazy. But the pilots were wonderful. We, we piled them into this little Learjet. And then we flew from Cancun to um, to Miami, where we had already shipped our our van, um, which we had driven to Mexico originally. And then we piled into our van with our five five dogs and drove from Miami to San Francisco. It, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. <laughs> that is dedication for sure. Although I'm sure anyone listening who might ever want to do that now has like the tips on what to do to make that work. So the private jet company knew you were bringing the dogs, right? You weren't just like, surprise, we're here. Oh, no, we no, have no. Five dogs. no, they, they had uh, instructed us. We had to bring blankets to cover their leather seats in their fancy okay. plane. And it was, it was a little amusing. We'd given all the dogs a little doggy Valium. And then we got on the plane and we strapped them into their seats, each dog in its own little seat in the rear jet. And as we're lifting off in Cancun and I'm waving goodbye to the beaches there, I look back and I see all my Mexican street dogs who a couple of years before had lived in the alleys and, and on the beach in a rear jet flying to Miami. I thought, this is just perfect. Just first class for those pups. <laughs> We love our animals. That's, yeah, I mean, I do too. Uh, I, I just—it's so stress. It sounds so stressful, though. Like even just thinking about driving my cats across the country sounds stressful. But, um, but like I'm not gonna take them. Like obviously, I love them, so like I'm gonna make it work. But I just—I love that you guys did all of that because um, I'm sure if I ever moved to Mexico, I would wind up with uh, quite a number of adopted pets too because well, they just well i mean i haven't been in a while um but i've been to mexico mexico a few times and like pretty much everywhere i've been like there's a lot of just like street dogs and stuff everywhere like so there's a lot of animals to adopt and i am definitely a soft touch yeah and when we moved to mexico we took our animals with us i mean to me our pets are our part of our family and so when we originally moved to Mexico, we drove from San Francisco to, uh, to Playa del Carmen, which is about, I, I think it's about 4,500 miles. And, um, and what we did was put them in our van and drove them along. And that at the time was just one dog and three cats, but we still manage. Yeah. Well, what, so you, you said like you were inspired by Jimmy Buffett and like you sort of had this idea, but what really like made you take the leap because I'm sure there's people listening to this um I know that like my parents whenever we go on trips to tropical places my dad is like always looking at real estate (laughs) that's just like what our family does um (laughs) and I'm sure that's true for a lot of place people or people that go to you know go on vacation to places and what what was the thing that like really just like made you take the plunge like made you decide to go for it Oh, that is the best question. Uh, I, it, it was years, I have to say, of vacation 
and and I don't want to make this sound too corny, but we set off inspired by Jimmy to sort of find the places that had been Margaritaville to him. So we started traveling around the, the tropics. And the more we did it, every time we would be someplace, Hawaii, Jamaica, Mexico, or Belize, we'd say, oh, we should live here. And uh, at some point, we just fell in love with the Caribbean coast of Mexico. And that's when we said, you know, we we actually could do this. We could come here and live for a while. We, we had our son was grown and had his own life and his own career going. And uh, it was sort of like, are, we're never going to have this chance again. Why not try it? And so we began to explore the idea of actually moving to Margaritaville. Yeah, that's awesome. I do you is this this was your first book or my this is my Driftwood is my first book. I'm finishing up a um, a memoir that is a uh, Driftwood. Of course, was fictional tales uh, stories from the Margarita Road, um, but the second book is um, it's. Um, titled Mexico Without Reservations. It should come out this year, and it is the the memoir of running a hotel in Mexico, and uh, I think it'll be as much fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is if you were writing more of like a nonfiction, because I loved this book a lot, but actually like my favorite genre is... Um, travel journalism. I, I, I don't even know what you actually call it, but when people write about their real life experiences of um, like moving places or of course my favorite are, you know, when they uh, sail, like sell all their stuff and buy a boat and sail away to the Caribbean or buy a beach bar in Mexico. <laughs> um, but like the, the real life, like everything that happens to them in real life and all of the, you know, exciting things they do, but also hearing about like all of the hard parts and stuff. Um, I don't, that's just like my favorite uh, genre uh, to read. So I'm really excited as well to read the new book once it comes out. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I love when I hear true to life stories about people who have decided to, um, you know, run away from the rat race. Um, the first book, I felt it was strange. I felt I needed to make it fictional because I was telling other people's stories and I didn't think it was, mm -hmm. I, I, th I thought I needed to give them some cover. Um, but in the new book, it's, it's a hundred percent my experiences in Mexico. And so I'm willing to own up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that makes total sense too, because, um, uh, you know, there are definitely a number of people in the book that don't really come off as awesome, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure that whoever those real people that this book was based on are, you know, would prefer that you made it more fictional. Do you think, <laughs> do you think any of those people are going to read this book and be like, hey, this is about me? <laughs> you know, I, I hope not. I hope that I was <laughs> so good at disguising them. But the truth is, um, I've had friends from Mexico say, oh, I recognize this person or that person. But, you know, to the world at large, these are just uh, fictional characters. Yeah. Um, well, one of my favorite stories and uh, this book, when you say that something made you laugh and it made you cry, you know, like, like that's kind of a cliche. But actually, I did cry <laughs> when I read this. I am, like I said, I'm kind of a soft touch when it comes to animals. And uh, I've 
sorry, listeners, I cry pretty easily at stuff. So um, the chapter about the black grouper, I like was tearing up because it's so poignant and like well-written about like reflective of the what's happening in the ocean and like the impact that humans are having and um and I'm overly empathetic to you know animals anyway uh, what that that chapter really is seemed because there weren't really a lot of other characters in it besides you and the grouper that seemed like a really especially personal chapter can you talk about that one a little bit I can and thank you for for your very nice words about it that was a, a special piece of the book for me. That is one chapter that is my true experience. I, I actually had that experience with that that grouper out in the ocean. Um, it's interesting. The, the tropics are experiencing a difficult time right now because one of the wonderful attractions to all of us to run away and find, you know, the mythical Margaritaville place um, is that it's not part of the rat race. It's it's away from encroaching civilization. But unfortunately, all of us running down there on vacation or to live changes the balance and more and more um, construction and more and more rules and more and more people end up going there. And it affects what was once paradise. And I... I Part of the reason for this story was to remind us all of that. And uh, that came from a day that I went snorkeling um, out in one of my favorite bays down along the the Caribbean. And it had happened just after a big storm. And all of a sudden, I had a companion, this mammoth um, black grouper. And they can get huge. This this guy was maybe five, six feet long. Um, but they're gentle creatures. They're they're not um, they're not anything to fear. But just that short experience of swimming along with that other being in that blue water of the Caribbean, you really touched my heart. And so that's how the story came to be. Yeah. Well, it touched my heart too. Uh, like honestly, anyone that's listening to this, um, I highly recommend this book and partly because of, and maybe, maybe different chapters will hit different people, right. In different ways. So maybe that's, won't be the chapter that hits you when you listen. But, um, that for me was like the, the really emotional (laughs) one. (laughs) So so I really, really appreciate that. And, and it, it is interesting. Like, I feel like only within the last few years have I really been like, I think the last time I went somewhere um, on a tropical vacation, which was trying to remember far too long ago now, (laughs) a couple years, a few (laughs) years, um, was like the first time when I really just heard a lot of promotion for like reef safe sunscreen. And I I felt like, shouldn't we have been doing this like way sooner? (laughs) You know, like how long, why has it taken us this long to figure out that like, this many people wearing this many chemicals is just like brutal. And, you know, we should really be trying to promote and encourage people to, and that's just like one little thing, but I don't know, hopefully, hopefully we can 
still, you know, make those kinds of changes and, and rebound a little bit because just everything we're doing as humans is not, you know, really good for the ocean ecosystem. So yeah, it's, it's a tough call, but I think there's a balance to be struck there. I mean, Jimmy singing and writing about paradise makes us all want to visit there. Me running a hotel in in Mexico on the Caribbean or writing a book about it hopefully makes people want to visit there. And so it becomes a responsibility for those of us who are encouraging the world to see that part of life um, to also remind people that, you know, let's let's be careful. You know, let's let's uh, watch what we leave behind and and how we treat the people there. And um, personally, I believe the more people that discover Mexico and the islands, uh, the Caribbean islands or the South Pacific islands, the more we more we interact with the people who live there. It just is so life enriching. It's it's not something to be passed by. Well, the problem is, though, and and this is also featured in the book in a couple of chapters, um, is, you know, there's always going to be the people that go and don't want to really interact with the culture or, you know, the the local residents there and just stay at, you know, all-inclusive resorts and never go anywhere else or, um, you know, that kind of environment doesn't really promote the sort of like respect and interest in keeping things good for that location. Right. If like all you are doing, I'm not like, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to an all-inclusive resort if that's your thing, but, but just remember like that, that's not that like perfect little maintained paradise is not necessarily indicative of like the rest of the country or the area. I agree. Most people, that stayed at my little hotel. And I'm, it was a tiny little old school Mexican central garden um, type of posada, um, had started coming to Mexico by staying at the, uh, at the all-inclusives. And then after they got more comfortable uh, with coming to Mexico, um, or Jamaica, or wherever they went, then they began to explore a little bit. And I thought that was wonderful. And I, I have to say, uh, I'm one of those people that love being spoiled by an all-inclusive. Yeah, when, I'm, it's when, great. When Sherry and I lived in Mexico, um, some days what we would do is for our vacation, where do you go to vacation when you're already in paradise? We would go to an all-inclusive where we could you know, have people wait on us 24 hours a day and get whatever we wanted to drink. And it was a wonderful indulgence. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also nothing wrong with that, with um, expanding your vision a little bit and seeing what the the street side streets are, have to offer you. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess I meant not that like there's, you should feel bad about going to all inclusive, like that's awesome. But just like that, I think some people get so in the bubble, right? And and I mean, these are probably the people that like are kind of be going to be jerks no matter what. So like <laughs> maybe it, there's nothing to be done about that. But like there's some people that are just like so in that bubble that they just have no respect or care for anything else, you know, like um, – Luckily, and I, there's, I think there's representation of a couple of those types of people in the book, which is oh, why absolutely. I bring it up. <laughs> absolutely. And, and the vast majority of people of 
travelers, vacationers, tourists I met in Mexico were were delightful people who were happy to be someplace new. But you're right. There, there are on occasion those people who they, they don't like the local food and they don't like the local customs and they won't even learn a, a word or two of the language. And uh, I feel sorry for them. I mean, they could they could be in the same vacation, whether it's in Vegas or Orlando or Cancun. And my only thought to them was, oh, you would have such a great time if you just expanded your vision a little bit. And and that's hopefully one of the things the, the book points out to them. Yeah. Um, I feel really lucky because my parents, um, who I learned to love Jimmy Buffett from basically being born because my parents love Jimmy Buffett and, and my parents love to go on trips and they love to go to tropical places. And, and so I was really lucky, like from an early age, like every spring break, like anytime I had time off school or whatever, we would like go to Mexico or we would go, you know, lots of places. Um, and, but my parents are very much, um, the, like, we want to stay at some little, you know, five room hotel on the beach. Like they're not really the all inclusive people, which we did go on a cruise once, which was fun. Cause I was like in third grade and I could charge stuff to our room, <laughs> which I thought was like the coolest thing ever, like ordering virgin pina coladas and charging it to our room on the cruise ship. Um, you know, when you're in third grade, that's like, it gets no better than that. That's but, as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, and that honestly still sounds amazing right now, but, um, not the virgin part, probably more with alcohol, but, um, but, but I was lucky that my parents were, were very much the kind of people that for the most part, like wanted to, um, really see the local culture and do all sorts of, you know, go, not they're like, they're more likely to just like read about a cool thing and then go see it as opposed to like taking a tour or whatever. So I, I sort of, um, you know, learned that kind of like get out there and get involved in the culture from an early age, because that is like what I did with my parents, because that's like how they approached it. Um, which like, I think that maybe has an impact, right? Like when you're growing up, however you vacation is maybe influences like your comfort level of doing things when you're an adult. Um, so, so thanks parents. They're not listening, but <laughs> if they were, thank you. Well, yeah. My folks did the same thing. My folks were very much not, um, you know, let's go to some fancy hotel. More than likely we would be camping on the beach. And so I think that stuck with me over the years. Yeah. We, we, and that's an important thing to pass on. Yeah. At least, you know, a variety of experiences, um, I think is really good to show your kids like what, what, what is out there. And, um, at least some of the time maybe do sort of local cultural things, um, just to, to get them exposed to that and, and show them like what, what they can do, you know, like what's available in terms of going out and, and having adventures. Because like you said at the beginning, for me, like it's all about having adventures, you know, like, I, I mean, I love to lay on the beach as much as the next person, don't get me wrong, but like, I also want to go, you know, see if there's like cool historical things or like, 
um, in Mexico, like go see like Mayan temples or, you know, whatever the, the local thing is, that's like the, the cool adventure. I always want to do that too. Uh, and, and that's the attitude to have. I mean, I, as much as the next person love to lay on a lounge chair next to the pool and say, Oh, una mas margarita, por favor. You know, just one more. <laughs> but, but also I love to get out there and, and get in the Jeep and head into the jungle and see what's going to happen. And uh, there's no reason we can't do both. Are there any um, sort of either Jimmy Buffett related or not necessarily uh, inspired adventures that like you haven't done yet that you really want to do? Yes. Um, my my uh, bucket list includes Tahiti and Bora Bora. I've never been to, uh, to uh, French Polynesia. I've been to Hawaii, which I love, um, but I would love to see that. And um, other than that, I'm pretty content with, with the places that I've now developed as favorite go-to uh, vacations or visits. Always New Orleans, absolutely. And again, inspired by Jimmy. Key West, of course, always. Of course. Um, but and, and the Mexico Riviera Maya. I've fallen in love with Jamaica and uh, the islands off the coast of Belize are favorites. Um, the Hawaiian Islands. I guess I could go. Have I not named a place in the travel? <laughs> That's the problem, right? Is like if you love <clears throat> that kind of experience, sort of the tropical experience, like you kind of love everywhere that does. I mean, like I. I love for various reasons. I love Hawaii. I love the Caribbean. I love Key West. Like if you How do ask you choose? me to choose, I don't know if I could, right? Because it's <laughs> they all they all are different, but they all have a lot of the same draws, but like they all are unique. So it's it's not like you can just be like, well, going to one is the same as going to any of them because that is not true at all. Um and they each have their own special things, right? That makes them unique and, and makes you want to go there. But yeah, it's it's really hard to, to choose a favorite for sure. Well, I will confess, um, I don't know if, if well, you you are, probably don't remember this, but when the, uh, when the box set came out, the Ballads, Beaches, CDs, it included a uh, parrot book handbook inside. Mm-hmm. And for years, that was the guidebook that my wife and I used to discover where we wanted to go. And it it pretty much took us to paradise every time. Um, but there was one exception. Um, in that little guidebook or handbook, Jimmy said that the best margarita, or one of the great margaritas, could be found at the Rosarito Beach Hotel. Now, the Rosarito Beach Hotel is a old-school colonial red-tile stone edifice in um, a little town just south of Tijuana in Baja. And he raved about the margaritas in their bar. So my wife and I, crazy people that we were, drove from San Francisco to this little hotel, about a 12-hour drive. And we checked in, and they gave us free margaritas. That was part of their deal. And they were probably among the best drinks I've ever had. So he wasn't lying. However, (laughs) they were too good to 
just do with one. So we had to order another and another. Now, this was when we were young and very poor. We had we had budgeted out our money for each day of our stay there at the hotel, what we could afford to eat and drink. We spent our entire budget on these famous margaritas the first night. The next night, we were counting change in order to buy street tacos. <laughs> but I have to say, that was the start of our love affair with Mexico. So still, Jimmy didn't did, yeah. Jimmy did not steer us wrong. <laughs> this is your fault, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Blame it on Buffett, right? Like that's why this that's, podcast is called that. <laughs> that's that's the word. Um, and I do remember that box set. I definitely remember when we got that, and I read that book a lot. Um, so I'm not that young, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not that old, so it all works. Right, out. Yeah, yeah, it it evens out in the end. Um, so how long did you own the beach bar and like, what was the catalyst for deciding to come back to the States? Um, we owned it for, for 10 years. We had been, um, visiting this part of Mexico for years and years and years and finally decided, uh, um, to purchase this, this, uh, hotel, this little, be- um, bed and breakfast. And very quick little story. I had been on a scooter on the island of Cozumel. My wife and I were over there to go diving when I took a spill and skidded about, I don't know, 30 yards on a uh, dirt road and um, ended up being bandaged up. And, you know, look, I looked like the mummy and I could not go into the water. I couldn't do anything. So I was sitting at a beach bar one day uh, feeling sorry for myself. And I heard an American talking at the bar, and I introduced myself. And uh, I said, what are you doing down here? And he said, well, I have a small hotel that I'm trying to sell. That was it. That's how we discovered the place that uh, we wanted. So it's kind of like in the book then. Yes, exactly. So we we bought this small hotel, and we, we uh, spent 10 years there. And... Um, the the last of the 10 years i had a uh, a pretty serious really serious heart attack oh and and sorry. but well i survived that's the good, good. news i mean you're the, here yes the the doctor in mexico who treated me literally saved my life but afterwards um it was recommended that we get treatment that was not a, available in mexico and at the same time we had um, uh, Sherry's, my wife, Sherry's mother was, uh, was in her final years and we wanted to spend time with her. So it was time to go back to, to the States for a while. So that's how we ended up selling the hotel and, and heading back to California. And now, of course, every day we say, well, when are we going back to Mexico? <laughs> right. I was going to say, do you have plans to ever like buy, I mean, maybe not necessarily run a hotel, but like buy a property there again, or do you think it'll be more of just vacationing from now on? One thing I have learned in our adventures was not to make plans that aren't <laughs> that aren't flexible. I I can see us just visiting our favorite places around the world for a while, but I can also see us falling in love with some place and saying, "Ooh, let's live here." And that, you know, it's that spirit of adventure that draws us. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So, what um, made you decide to write the book? Like, what uh, I know. So, you used to be back in a previous life. You used to be a lawyer, right? So. Did like when you got back? Were, like, have you always sort of been a writer, or or what made you decide to do this? I've always 
wanted to be a writer, but it, it never happened. I, I had a career as a as a lawyer and doing some other things. But when we came back from Mexico, I thought, you know, there are so many wonderful stories of all the people we met and all the adventures we had. I, I didn't want to keep them to myself. I wanted to share them. And so I started writing this book. Well, I started writing, and then I would show different friends something I had written, and they would all go, oh, you have to write a book. And so I did. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's that's kind of a good barometer because if they're like, oh, yeah, it's it's good. <laughs> but if like, because I think no, like no friend's probably going to be like, you're this is terrible. But if it wasn't like actually good, they probably wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, you should write a book. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that was a good story or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I leaned on friends that I thought would be honest with me. But uh, and and so after writing the book, I had a lot of help. I mean, People don't write a book by their own. You, people have to come in and edit it and look at it and critique it. And I had really wonderful people that were willing to work with me. So that's how it ended up in its final form. Yeah, it's and and uh, very glad that it did. Uh, and just to say it again, so in case people are tuning in, uh, I feel like I have to be like, oh, this could this since this is on the radio, people might be tuning in partway through, but. Um, it's called Driftwood Stories from the Margarita Road, and uh, you can get it, um, I assume, multiple places. Well, we'll talk about that at the end because I, yeah. I, still, have, yeah. I still have things I want to talk to you about Absolutely. before we go into the, I'm like, in no rush. can you buy the book uh, section of the podcast? <laughs> um, just getting a little ahead of myself there, but I just wanted to make sure I said the title again in case people uh, were wondering what Thank it was. Thank you very um, much. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a very... Um, easy read, like a pretty quick read. And I don't mean that negatively. Uh, I think I read it in like four evenings or something. I um, meant it as a beach read. I wanted people to take this book with them on vacation or, of course, now with the pandemic, um, I wanted them to feel like they were going on a vacation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this would be an amazing beach read or, you know, when you're on the plane and you flying to your tropical destination, you want to read something to like get in the mood. Um, but it's just it's really well balanced, I think. Like it goes pretty quickly because it's like really enjoyable. But the the types of stories that are in it are like I said, there's like fun ones. There's ones that are a little bit more dark and serious. Um, it's it's just a great I, I just, I, I, I feel like I am repeating this a lot, but I oftentimes, I think, you know, you, you read stuff when you, like when I asked you to be on the podcast, I had not read the book, right? So I was kind of taking a leap of faith that I would like it because if, if it was like kind of bad, I still have to interview you. <laughs> um, and then the interview would have been like, oh, so I read this book and it, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So like I feel like and I'm I'm happy to do that. I I think it's kind of hard to um hate an escapism book, right? Like if it's about the tropics, even if it's not like the most well-written, it's still enjoyable because of the subject matter. So I think it was always a pretty safe bet. But um you can always find something in a book about the beach that you will exactly, like. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I I wasn't I wasn't worried. Um but I I just wanted to emphasize that like I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. Like I really enjoyed this book and I, and I would recommend it to everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, since you 
are a Jimmy Buffett fan and uh, there are many direct Jimmy Buffett references in the book, uh, which was fun as a fellow Jimmy Buffett fan uh, to see those. Um, I know when we first talked uh, on Facebook, it was because of um, kind of a Jimmy Buffett reference about Cane Garden Bay. So I was just wondering if you wanted to maybe tell a couple of your favorite um places you've been slash stories that have to do with jimmy buffett oh lord <laughs> i'm sure oh, there's a lot there are and <laughs> i didn't I, prep you for this question i'm sorry all right no i mean because it's true i mean it it sounds so corny but but listening to jimmy's songs and reading his books sort of became a um guidebook for my my wife and i just explore the world but um we were in um the British Virgin Islands, um, the island of Tortola once. And uh, I had wanted to go to Cane Garden Bay because Jimmy sang about Cane Garden Bay. Right, yeah. And so um, we we were with friends and we rented a Jeep and uh, uh, tried to find our way to the, um, to the other side of the island. Um, we were in... Uh, Roadtown, and those people who are familiar with the island of Tortola know that Roadtown is on one side of the island and Cane Garden Bay is on the other side. So we uh, we rented a Jeep and we managed to get ourselves completely lost. And a guy driving an old garbage truck stopped and said, can I help you? And we explained the situation and he drove us. He said, follow me and literally led us up over the mountain and down the other side to the beach, to Cane Garden Bay, which is just an example of the kind of experiences I've had with in the third world with people who just reach out to you and say, hey, I'll lend a hand. And when we got there, we we uh, we found a little bar restaurant on stilts right on the edge of the water called the Wedding Chapel. And we went in and around the edges of the ceiling, someone had hand painted um, all the lyrics to uh, Bob Marley's um, Buffalo Soldier song. And the owner was a guy named Pooey, and he would serve up lobster he had caught himself that day and pour wonderful rum drinks that came from his family's um, still, which was just a couple of palm trees down the beach. And uh, I would have never ever had that experience, but for Jimmy singing about coming into Caden Garden Bay. So Jimmy, if you're out there in the netherworld anyway, thank you for that one. That that was a treasure to believe. Yes. I'm sure he's listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> um, yeah. I love the BVI. I've been to a lot of the Caribbean islands and um, they're all awesome, honestly. And, and for the most part, like all of the people are really nice there, um, like on all the islands. But I think that the BVI, especially like people are just so friendly and willing to like help you, whatever you like, go out of their way to help you. Um, you know, and like, you know, your hotel guy or your taxi guy or whoever the guy is or lady will like give you their card. Right. And it's like anytime you need something, you can call them with questions. And um, I, I would say like the BVI is probably like one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> you know, along with all the others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one of my favorite places um, to visit. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, um, 
Tortola and Virgin Gorda. All the BVI is wonderful. Um, but I was about to say it's one of my favorites, but then Jamaica is a favorite. Then Belize is a favorite. So right. It, yeah. It's, they're all, they're don't, all a favorite. Don't limit yourself, you know? Um, actually, and that reminds me, I know you sent me some photos already, but if you could send me that photo of you uh, the, at the bar in King Garden Bay, I think that would be really awesome to post if you don't mind so I that would, people can see it since we talked about it. I would love to do that. That's great. And and I will tell people my understanding is now Pui, who owned that bar and owned the his family owned the uh, um, Callwood uh, distillery with made the rum. He has passed away since then. But um, his sons run it. So it's still there. Oh, Cane Garden the Bay, the, the wedding chapel bar and restaurant, and the Callwood uh, Distillery, I think, is still going. Yeah, that's awesome. So everyone go check it out if you're there. I I, I think I said this before. I, I have been to Cane Garden, Cane Garden Bay, but I don't remember if I went to that specific place or not. Um, I don't have the best memory, so all of my travels kind of like run together. Well, the problem with traveling looking for Margaritaville, of course, is that you have to drink margaritas all right. the way. So right. some of the some of the uh, memories get a little fuzzy. And, and I like even totally sober, I have a terrible memory, so <laughs> it does not get better when alcohol involved is involved. But um, <laughs> but it, actually, speaking of that, do you have a favorite cocktail? Like, what's your favorite thing to drink? Oh, well, I do love a good margarita. And um, if people want to get the uh, the uh, recipe for a wonderful margarita, I have one on my website. It's the one I used to serve at my bar. And uh, it's it's I would say it's one of the best margaritas that I ever, ever had. Um, but one of my favorite drinks that I used to serve in my bar in Mexico was called a um, beso cubano, which is means Cuban kiss. And uh, it, what it was was um, um, a shot of Cuban Havana Club rum, a shot of Kahlua, and a shot of tequila cream, which is kind of like Bailey's, but instead of Irish whiskey, it's, um, it's uh, tequila. And you mix them all together over ice. That was very popular at my bar. That sounds... Was that uh, mentioned in the book? I feel like that seems familiar. Um. I believe, well, I mentioned a, uh, a, uh, a variation of that, which is to, instead of Kahlua, to use the tequila cream and the Fanta Club in a, with coffee. That's a breakfast oh, yeah, drink. That, that, was, that makes it a brunch drink. Right, right, because the coffee is involved. I just remember, um, the reason I remembered it is because of the te- tequila cream thing, because I had never heard of that before. Um, like, I... I don't think I've ever had tequila cream. Like I can't imagine really what that's like. So that's why I was like, "Ooh, what is this new thing that I haven't had?" You have to explore it. It's wonderful. It's it's a it's a great breakfast drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not really a coffee person. I'm a tea person. Um, but you can put those kinds of things in tea too. I've definitely put Bailey's in tea before, um, and it was pretty good. So yeah, I could make it. I can make it work. Yes, you can um, be very creative. To- are there just are there different brands like should I just look up tequila cream and I'll be able to find it? Uh, I think so. Um, I'm trying to remember the brand I used in Mexico, and it was it is available in the states. I want to say I won't say because I'll get it wrong, but um, there are you just if you just look up Google tequila cream, you'll find it. Right. Okay. Um, 
that actually makes me think when I said one of my favorite genres is like nonfiction uh, sort of Caribbean escape stories or, or Mexico, like whatever the thing is. Um, my actual favorite genre is that, but when there's recipes. So I don't know if you've read like Embarrassment of Mangoes. Oh, or, yes. Oh, yes. Um, any of those kinds of books, but like that is my literal favorite genre. So that I, I, I it's like an awesome true story, but also there's like cool recipes that I can make. So maybe in your memoir, you should like throw in the drink recipes so that people can make them. <laughs> I think like that's even a if you just put them idea. in the back, you don't have to like integrate them into the story, although you could just put them at the end of chapters or whatever. Just like throw them in the back. I think that's a wonderful idea. Okay, good. You'll, you'll get a thank you in the book for that. Yes. Idea. I mean, really just having the recipes is a thank you, but um, because that's like my, I love um, like Embarrassment of Mangoes. There's a Bahamian mac and cheese recipe in there that honestly I make very regularly because it is super (laughs) delicious. Um, And isn't that part of the adventure when you go traveling any place, but particularly, you know, in in a land that's so different than our own upbringing, the food is extraordinary. You know, I became so addicted to the changing food in the tropics. I just loved it. Yeah, I love trying different things. And um, like in my travels in the Caribbean, like oh, the food there is amazing. Um, and it's definitely, that's like one of the things that I think when we were talking about like getting out into the culture of a place, like that's like one of the biggest things I think. Like if you just stay at, one resort the whole time like that resort probably has amazing food but it might be kind of fancy or it might not be like as like true to the local cuisine or whatever like I think getting out there and trying little like local restaurants and bars and things um, is one of my favorite things to do because I just love trying different new foods um and usually those kinds of places have really fresh like fruits and I'm not actually a seafood person, but if you like seafood, like really fresh seafood. So those are like, I think you're really missing out if you don't try I, those kinds of things. I agree. In Mexico, uh, um, for example, it's common in when you get away from the tourist areas to have um, cocina economica, which are, are basically Cheap kitchens or or affordable kitchen is the is the translation somewhat, and they're open air restaurants as you walk down the street, and it will be someone cooking their family's recipes, and the food will be incredible. Um, and that sort of and the same thing happened to us again and again in in uh, Jamaica. Um, it's a lovely way to explore people's traditions, and it takes comfort food to a whole different level. Yeah. And if you can find places where even they'll like show you how to make it, that's really cool too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause then you can like learn how to make the traditional foods and then take it back. Like even when you go home, you can try and, excuse me, replicate. Like, I mean, mean, it's never really the same, you know, but like you could do your best (laughs) to replicate what what you get there. I'll tell you a quick funny story about uh, discovering, um, Cheladas in Mexico. Now, um, it depends on what what Mexican coast you're on. It, it's different. It's a different drink from east to west. But on the Caribbean side, a chelada is I always call it a beer margarita. You take a tall glass, fill it with ice, uh, salt the rim, 
um, squeeze in uh, lime juice and then and perhaps a touch of sweetener, and then you pour in a, a beer. And it is such a wonderful drink on a hot beach. And I remember the first time I had it, I just thought, oh, this is just the best drink ever. It's a perfect vacation drink. And so when we went home back to the States, I made that drink again. And it was good, but it really needed a Caribbean Sea in front of it. I, I learned <laughs> my lesson. Yeah, sometimes things uh, take on flavor from the context that you're drinking it in or eating it in. And it's never it's never quite the same. It's still good, but it's never quite the same as, you know, when you're in the actual location. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> well, I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about the charity that you picked because um, – for anyone that's listening to this for the first time, if you're tuning in on Tiki Man Radio, uh, one of the things I do on the podcast is I let each guest choose a charity or nonprofit organization that they are really um, passionate about or that they, you know, want to support or promote. And then, um, you know, we talk about it so that people know and and sort of get the word out there. But also then um, the, the, the podcast, which is me. <laughs> makes a donation to that charity. So I think it's important to really promote Jimmy is really about giving back and, and this podcast, um, that's like, in addition to the many like fun things that Jimmy Buffett inspires, I think he also really inspires, uh, an attitude of, of giving back and, and helping. So that's one of the things I want to do with this podcast as well. So which, uh, organization did you pick? Um, I picked all hands and hearts, which is, a unique charity um, that responds worldwide to natural disasters. And it just so happens that because the third world in tropical areas are, are have less infra- infrastructure to, uh, to handle such disasters, they go in there a lot. So the Caribbean islands or uh, Indochina or around the world when there's a hurricane or an earthquake or a fire, uh, they go in. What makes them different is they ask people to volunteer to go on those trips. And uh, I became familiar with it when my wife uh, volunteered to be part of uh, the hurricane relief down in the American Virgin Islands uh, two years ago. They had suffered back-to-back hurricanes, huge, huge devastation. And she went down and, and helped clear the land and and do some new construction for schools and hospitals. And uh, through her trip and through reading about them, I just fell in love with these people. They do good work, and uh, you can certainly um, send them a check and offer them money. But take a look at their website. They can offer you a chance to go to the Caribbean or go around the world and not take a vacation, but really get to know people by working with them to to help in a natural disaster. So again, that's All Hands and Hearts, and their website is allhandsandhearts.org. Awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes as well, so people can just click on it really easily to go check out the website. And um, I think that's really great, like, because people have different capabilities for supporting something, right? Like some people it's easier for them to, to, to send money. And that is the way that they can support things the best. Some people might not have the money to send, but they really want to do volunteer work. So, um, it's nice when, uh, 
there's those different options for people to help in whatever way works best for them. And, and even though you're going to a place to help, um, and obviously when you're helping in that situation, like you said, it's not in a great state, it's not a vacation, but you're still getting to go to the place and like see the culture and help that culture. Um, so like, that's, that's a really, you know, definitely a different experience than a vacation, but still, I think like an important and interesting experience to have if you have the capability to do that. So that's really cool. I had, I hadn't heard of, of that before. So, um, that's really interesting to know. And, and maybe someday I would be able to do that. Yeah. And you're right. Not everybody can go. I, I could not go and hang off the side of a mountain hauling building materials while I was recovering from my heart attack, but, but my wife could. And so, she got to experience one side of it while I worked on the the, the stay at home and write a check side. But uh, again, her experience was that the people, it wasn't just doing good work. It was meeting people that were receiving that good work and who were so grateful and so friendly. Um, it's It's an important thing. Yeah. So everyone, please go check that out if you get a chance. And um, even if another thing is, even if you can't um, support with money or time, a thing you can do is tell, tell other people about it. Right. So that's one of the reasons I want to do this on the podcast too, is just spreading the word. So if you, um, like me, hadn't heard of this and, and you also think it's a worthwhile thing, like, I think this uh, especially will be really close to the hearts of a lot of um, people who listen to this podcast, just because a lot of us do go on vacation in those places and do see, uh, the devastation that happens when, um, hurricanes and things hit. I know the, I had just been, um, to the Virgin Islands, uh, like the year before that really bad hurricane hit a couple years ago and it wiped out like soggy dollar bar, which is one of my favorite bars. And, um, you know, so, so I think those kinds of, that, that, that kind of thing would be really close to the hearts of people who have been to these places, you know, and love these places, um, to want to help them get back on their feet. So everyone, uh, please tell your friends about this, this lovely charity. And talking about hurricanes, I mean, that's, that's the dark side climate wise of, of our dream of Margaritaville. Um, I've been through a couple of them now, and I know lots of people in, in, Florida and New Orleans and along the Gulf Coast have seen them. Um, and just being in the situation of seeing people who have very little scrambling to try and protect what they have as a major storm is coming ashore will sort of change your change your view of life. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I I live in states that don't have a lot of natural disasters, Oregon, and now I live in Arizona, which has fires, but that's pretty much it. Um, so I've never experienced like a, a hurricane or a really big earthquake or anything like that. But um, I can only imagine like how scary and devastating it is. So definitely want to help support people going through that for sure. And this podcast will be making donations. So um, thank you for thank you. sharing that with us. And um, I know we talked about having you do a little reading from the book. So that is very exciting. And we'll do that in just a minute. But just before we get to that, I want to make sure um, that I give you a chance to mention, like, what's your website? Where can people find you on social media? If people want to contact you for any reason, um, 
uh, you know, t- tell us all the things. Uh, all that good stuff. Okay. Um, I, I have an author's website. It's Anthony Lee Head. That's uh, the Lee is L E E. Um, AnthonyLeeHead.com. And if you go to that site, it has information about my book, Driftwood. It has my biography. It has some, it has the world's greatest margarita recipe. And, uh, it also has all the places that you can order the book. It's on Amazon. It's in various bookstores. And it will tell you how to get a copy if you want one. Um, on Facebook, you should go to The Margarita Road. Um, and that is my author's Facebook page. And that will keep you up to date on things that are happening with the book and with my other writing. So, uh, And both of those places, you can contact me through chat on uh on Facebook, or the website will allow you to contact me through uh, through email. So, I, and I would anyone having questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. Okay, great. And Twitter or Instagram or no? Um, no, okay. <laughs> I, I'm on That's both of those. For but... <laughs> me, so that when I do the post for this, I'll tag you if you had those. But if you don't, that's totally fine. No, that's fine. <laughs> Just so Facebook and, and the website are the main places to get you. Yes, they are. Okay. And also, um, for anyone listening, the book, uh, like you said, you can get it in many places and on your website, Amazon, um, all the all the places. But also, uh, because you were so kind to send me your book um, for free before this podcast, I honestly was going to pay for it. So so I would like to pay it forward to someone else and I'm going to buy a book from you and then give it away to somebody, a listener. So um, I will, tomo- this, this podcast is going to go up today. I'll do a post for it. I'll do a separate post on social media um, tomorrow. So Monday, uh, about the giveaway. So everyone just keep an eye out on social media. Um, I'll do a post on Instagram and Facebook for that. Um, and that way, if anyone's listening and they feel like, you know, they don't have the money right now to read it or, um, whatever the situation is, you'll get a chance to, um, potentially win a copy of the book that I will, uh, pay and then Tony will send it off to you and maybe maybe would you sign it for them? Oh, absolutely. I was going to say just uh, if if the winner wants any particular sort of inscription, I would be more than happy to do it, but they will definitely get an autographed copy. Okay, awesome. So yeah, everyone keep an eye out for that post on Monday. It's going to be a separate post from just the promotional post for this uh, podcast. And and that will be for the giveaway of the book. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to do that because I, yeah, I want to share this book with people. I want other people to read it um, because it is great. So uh, what did you have uh, planned for us if you want to go ahead and maybe read us a little bit from the book now? Oh, that would be great. Um, what I wanted to read was a little section of the book Um that simply describes the type of people that I met while I was traveling on the Margarita Road and uh, the sort of adventuresome free spirits that I met. And this is sort of a tribute to them. So uh, here's how it goes. It didn't take long to realize I wasn't the only person in town who had taken the Margarita Road to paradise. A small community of American expats was beginning to come together 
on that perfect little tropical beach. For some time now, people like me had been drifting south, ending up in Mexico with Jimmy Buffett songs playing in their heads. They left behind mortgages, failed marriages, and a lifetime of disappointments. Some of them came looking for a fresh start, and some were searching for a place to hide. A few were pulled by a dream they could never quite understand until they walked down the beach to that crystal clear water for the first time. As I got to know my new neighbors, I found saints and sinners of every degree of good, bad, and strange. These aging adolescents thought of themselves as Peter Pan's lost children, and the beach was their neverland. Having run away from home, they were now refusing to grow up. They spent their days lying in the sun and their nights dancing on the sand. Every evening was an opportunity to break another commandment, and every morning offered a new chance at redemption. My newfound friends were lazy, profane, adventuresome, often drunk, and free. And that's it. That's that's a perfect little um, sort of summary of what you get in the rest of the book like that flushed out all those characters flushed out is um really what you get from the rest of the book so that was a really great um little section and thank you so much for reading that and thank you so much for for being on this podcast i as soon as like we had that little conversation on facebook i was like oh i gotta get this guy on the podcast for sure (laughs) (laughs) alia it's been a thrill for me thank you so much and uh You know, there are so many people out there that have that adventuresome spirit. It's people like you that encourage them them to take it. I think that's just wonderful. Thank you. And everyone, be sure to go check out Tony's website. Um, Follow him on Facebook. Like him on Facebook so you can keep up with all he's doing. I know I'm excited for the next books that come out. So hopefully you will check that one out um, as well when it comes out. And um, yeah, everyone, thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening to that um, interview with Tony. I hope you'll go check out his charity that he suggested as well. I think it's definitely really a relevant one to those of us who like to travel to tropical places or live who live in tropical places. Um, I'm not one of those people, but I know there are those people out there. Um, and just I just want to thank him again so much for being on. He was so lovely and. I, you never know what you're going to get when you ask people to be on the podcast, but I have never once had it go wrong. So I think we're doing pretty well. Um, and, and he was just like, um, great as always. So, um, I'm excited to make his, uh, margarita too. Um, I always love a new margarita recipe to try. Maybe I'll do a corn cocktail video for that. If I can get all the ingredients together at some point, um, and so, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you tuned in on Tiki Man Radio um, and this is your first time, um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, I, I do want to give a shout out to Kelly McGuire, who wrote the song Blame It on Buffett and um, is letting me use it as my podcast intro and outro music. Thank you, Kelly. You are the best. He also was my first interview ever. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, Maybe we'll air it at some point 
on Tiki Man Radio during a week if I don't have a new episode. But if you can't wait that long, um, you can go back and listen to it. You can find my podcast on Anchor, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, like basically everywhere that podcasts are. Um, You can go back and listen to my old episodes. I also have an interview with Delaney Buffett um, and just lots of fun guests. So go check that out. if you go listen on Anchor, um, it's just anchor.fm, I believe, and then you can just search for Blame It On Buffett. I do have a donation button on there. Um, it's sort of like a Patreon style where you can like sign up to donate a certain amount a month and the, the lowest amount is 99 cents. So if you are liking what you're hearing um, and you want to support the podcast in that way, I truly appreciate it. It's uh, totally not necessary. Um, but that money is slowly accumulating and I will use it to make upgrades to things for the podcast um, and try to just make it better for you guys. So you can do that there. Um, if not, then I totally get it. That's totally fine. Honestly, if you are trying to choose between making a donation to me and making a donation to, um, you know, the charity of choice from our guests, like you should do the charity. Like, uh, I am definitely supportive of that. Um, and if you're just listen here to listen, I love you so much for that too. Um, I love to hear from you. If you are liking what you're hearing, um, if you have questions or anything, you can email me at, um, blame it on Buffett podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on social media, um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blame Buffett Pod, or just type in search for Blame It on Buffett on Facebook. Um, feel free to follow me there. You can DM me. I try to respond to messages. Um, if you have questions or thoughts, uh, feedback, I always love to hear like how people are enjoying the episodes or if you have stories, you know, that come up about your life that like really relate. I love to hear those too. So any feedback you have, um, please send it to me. And I uh, just appreciate it so much that people are out there listening to this. And, and clearly, I guess enough people care that like Danny thought it might be good to have on his radio station. So like that is so huge for me. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you all. And if you have Apple Podcasts, uh, if you could go, if you are enjoying it, if you could go leave a review, um, you can just hit the star review. You don't have to leave a comment, but if you want to leave a comment, that's always awesome too. Um, that just helps the podcast get more um, eyeballs on it. The more reviews and um, comments I have on there, the more people will see it on Apple Podcasts. So that's always very helpful too. Or spread the word, tell your friends about it. Tell your friends they can listen on Tiki Man Radio Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, oh, also, I am going to be on Boomer's Basement, which is an awesome show on Facebook hosted by my friend Boomer Blake. Um, that is going to be this coming Friday, uh, which I should have prepared for this by looking up the date, the 12th, this coming Friday, the 12th, I believe also at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, but you can go over to Boomer's uh, Basement, Facebook, or Boomer Blake, also on Facebook or Instagram, um, and I'm sure he will be posting details about it then. So I will be a guest, which is always exciting, <laughs> versus being the person doing the interview over there. And I think it'll be just a fun time to hang out with Boomer. And um, also, I think Dan Smith from Classic Buffett will be on that, and uh, one of the guys from the Under 40 Victims of Fate pod. Um, 
because it's going to be kind of like a Jimmy Buffett focused episode as opposed to um, Trop Rock specific. This is going to be more very Jimmy Buffett specific. So yes, I think that's all the things. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all. And remember, until next time, if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen out there. Blame it on Buffett. He was my hero.